Section fifty six of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew. Volume one. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Street Folk. Part fifty six. The Crippled Street Seller of Nutmaker Graters. I now give an example of one of the classes driven to the streets by utter inability to labour. I have already spoken of the sterling independence of some of these men possessing the strongest claims to our sympathy and charity, and yet preferring to sell rather than beg. As I said before, many ingrained beggars certainly use the street trade as a cloak for alms-seeking, but as certainly many more with every title to our assistance use it as a means of redemption from beggary that the nutmeg greater seller is a noble example of the latter class i have not the least doubt i have made all due inquiries to satisfy myself as to his worthiness and i feel convinced that when the reader looks at the portrait here given and observes how utterly helpless the poor fellow is and then reads the following plain unvarnished tale he will marvel like me not only at the fortitude which could sustain him under all his heavy afflictions but at the resignation not to say philosophy with which he bears them every one his struggles to earn his own living notwithstanding his physical incapacity even to put the victuals to his mouth after he has earned them are instances of a nobility of pride that are i believe without a parallel the poor creature's legs and arms are completely withered indeed he is scarcely more than head and trunk his thigh is hardly thicker than a child's wrist his hands are bent inward from contraction of the sinews the fingers being curled up and almost as thin as the claws of a bird's foot he is unable even to stand and cannot move from place to place but on his knees which are shod with leather caps like the heels of a clog strapped round the joint the soles of his boots are on the upper leathers that being the part always turned towards the ground while he is crawling along his countenance is rather handsome than otherwise the intelligence indicated by his ample forehead is fully borne out by the testimony as to his sagacity in his business and the mild expression of his eye by the statements as to his feeling for all others in affliction i sell nutmeg graters and funnels said the cripple to me i sell them at a penny and a penny halfpenny apiece i get mine of the man in whose house i live he is a tin man and makes for the street trade and shops and all i pay sevenpence a dozen for them and i get twelvepence or eighteenpence a dozen if i can when i sell them but i mostly get only a penny apiece it's quite a chance if i have a customer at a penny halfpenny some days i sell only three some days not one though i'm out from ten o'clock till six the most i ever took was three shillings and sixpence in a day some weeks i hardly clear my expenses and they're between seven shillings and eight shillings a week for not being able to dress and undress myself i'm obligated to pay someone to do it for me i think i don't clear more than seven shillings a week take one week with another when i don't make that much i go without sometimes friends who are kind to me give me a trifle or else i should starve as near as i can judge i take about fifteen shillings a week and out of that i clear about six shillings or seven shillings i pay for my meals as i have them threepence or fourpence a meal 
i pay every night for my lodging as i go in if i can but if not my landlady lets it run a night or two i give her a shilling a week for my washing and looking after me and one shilling and sixpence for my lodging when i do very well i have three meals a day but it's oftener only two breakfast and supper and less of sunday on a wet day when i can't get out i often go without food i may have a bit of bread and butter give me but that's all then i lie abed i feel miserable enough when i see the rain come down of a weekday i can tell you oh it is very miserable indeed lying in bed all day and in a lonely room without perhaps a person to come near one helpless as i am and hear the rain beat against the windows and all that without nothing to put in your lips i've done that over and over again where i lived before but where i am now i'm more comfortable like my breakfast is mostly bread and butter and tea and my supper bread and butter and tea with a bit of fish or a small bit of meat what my landlord and landlady has i share with them i never break my fast from the time i go out in the morning till i come home unless it is a halfpenny orange i buy in the street i do that when i feel faint i have only been selling in the streets since this last winter i was in the workhouse with a fever all the summer i was destitute afterwards and obliged to begin selling in the streets the guardians gave me five shillings to get stock i had always dealt in tinware so i knew where to go to buy my things it's very hard work indeed is street selling for such as me i can't walk no distance i suffer a great deal of pains in my back and knees sometimes i go in a barrow when i'm travelling any great way when i go only a short way i crawl along on my knees and toes the most i've ever crawled is 2 miles when i get home afterwards i'm in great pain my knees swell dreadfully and they're all covered with blisters and my toes ache awful i've corns all on top of them often after i've been walking my limbs and back ache so badly that i can get no sleep across my lines it feels as if i've got some great weight and my knees are in a heat and throb and feel as if a knife was running into them when i go upstairs i have to crawl upon the back of my hands and my knees i can't lift nothing to my mouth the sinews of my hands is all contracted i am obliged to have things held to my lips for me to drink like a child i can use a knife and fork by leaning my arm on the table and then stooping my head to it i can't wash nor undress myself sometimes i think of my helplessness a great deal the thoughts of it used to throw me into fits at one time very bad it's the almighty's will that i am so and i must abide by it people says as they passes me in the streets poor fellow it's a shocking thing but very seldom they does any more than pity me some lays out a halfpenny or a penny with me but the most of em goes on about their business persons looks at me a good bit when i go into a strange place i do feel it very much that i haven't the power to get my living or to do a thing for myself but i never begged for nothing i'd sooner starve than i'd do that i never thought that people whom god had given the power to help themselves ought to help me i have thought that i'm as i am obliged to go on my hands and knees from no fault of my own often i've done that and i've over and over again laid in bed and wondered why the almighty should send me into the world in such a state often i've done that on a wet day with nothing to eat and no friend to come anigh me when i've gone along the streets too and been in pain i've thought as i've seen the people pass straight up with all the use of their limbs and some of them the biggest blackguards 
cussing and swearing i thought why should i be deprived of the use of mine and i felt angry like and perhaps at that moment i couldn't bring my mind to believe the almighty was so good and merciful as i'd heard say but then in a minute or two afterwards i've prayed to him to make me better and happier in the next world i've always been led to think he's afflicted me as he has for some wise purpose or other that i can't see i think as mine is so hard a life in this world i shall be better off in the next often when i couldn't afford to pay a boy i've not had my boots off for four or five nights and days nor my clothes neither give me the world i couldn't take them off myself and then my feet are swollen to that degree that i've been nearly mad with pain and i've been shivering and faint but still i was obliged to go out with my things if i hadn't i should have starved such as i am can't afford to be ill it's only rich folks as can lay up not we for us to take to our beds is to go without food altogether when i was without never a boy i used to tie the wet towel round the back of one of the chairs and wash myself by rubbing my face up against it i've been two days without a bit of anything passing between my lips i couldn't go and beg for victuals i'd rather go without then i used to feel faint and my head used to ache dreadful i used then to drink a plenty of water the women's sex is mostly more kinder to me than the men some of the men fancies as i goes along that i can walk they often says to me why the sole of your boot is as muddy as mine and one on em is because i always rests myself on that foot the other sole you see is as clean as when it was first made the women never seem frightened on me my trade is to sell brooms and brushes and all kinds of cutlery and tinware i learnt it myself i never was brought up to nothing because i couldn't use my hands mother was a cook in a nobleman's family when i was born they say as i was a love child i was not brought up by mother but by one of her fellow-servants mother's intellects was so weak that she couldn't have me with her she used to fret a great deal about me so her fellow-servant took me when she got married after i were born mother married a farmer in middling circumstances they tell me as my mother was frightened afore i was born i never knew my father he went over to buenos aires and kept an hotel there i've heard mother say as much no mother couldn't love a child more than mine did me but her feelings were such she couldn't bear to see me i never went to mother's to live but was brought up by the fellow-servant as i've told you of mother allowed her thirty pounds a year i was with her till two years back she was always very kind to me treated me like one of her own mother used to come and see me about once a year sometimes not so often she was very kind to me then oh yes i used to like to see her very much whatever i wished for she'd let me have if i wrote to her she always sent me what i wanted i was very comfortable then mother died four years ago and when i lost her i fell into a fit i was told of it all of a sudden she and the party as i was brought up with was the only friends as i had in the world the only persons as cared anything about a creature like me i was in a fit for hours and when i came to i thought what would become of me i knew i could do nothing for myself and the only friend as i had as could keep me was gone the person as brought me up was very good and said while she'd got a home i should never want but two years after mother's death she was seized with the cholera and then i hadn't a friend left in the world when she died i felt ready to kill myself i was all alone then and what could i do cripple as i was she thought her sons and daughters as i'd been brought up with like brothers and sisters 
would look after me, but it was not in their power. They was only hard-working people. My mother used to allow so much a year for my schooling, and I can read and write pretty well. Note, he wrote his name in my presence, kneeling at the table, holding the pen almost as one might fancy a bird would, and placing the paper sideways instead of straight before him. End note. While mother was alive, I was always foraging about to learn something unbeknown to her. I wanted to do so in case mother should leave me without the means of getting a living. I used to buy old bedsteads and take them to a man and get him to repair them, and then I'd put the sacking on myself. I can hold a hammer somehow in my right hand. I used to polish them on my knees. I made a bench to my height out of two old chairs. I used to know what I should get for the bedsteads, and so could tell what I could afford to give the man to do up the parts as I couldn't manage. It was so I got to learn something like a business for myself. When the person died as had brought me up, I could do a little. I had then got the means. Before her death, I had opened a kind of shop for things in the general line. I sold tinware and brasswork and candlesticks and fire irons and all old furniture and gown prints as well. I went into the tally business, and that ruined me altogether. I couldn't get my money in. There's a good deal owing to me now. Me and a boy used to manage the whole. I used to make all my account books and everything. My lodgers didn't pay me my rent, so I had to move from the house and live on what stock I had. In my new lodging I went on as well as I could for a little while, but about eighteen months ago I could hold on no longer. Then I borrowed a little and went hawking tinware and brushes in the country. I sold baking dishes, Dutch ovens, roasting jacks, skewers and gridirons, teapots and saucepans and combs. I used to exchange sometimes for old clothes. I had a barrow and a boy with me. I used to keep him and give him one shilling a week. I managed to get just a living that way. When the winter came on, I gave it up. It was too cold. After that, I was took bad with a fever. My stock had been all gone a little while before, and the boy had left because I couldn't keep him and I had to do all for myself. All my friends was dead, and I had no one to help me, so I was obligated to lay about all night in my things, for I couldn't get them off alone, and that and want of food brought on a fever. Then I was took into the workhouse, and there I stopped all the summer, as I told you. I can't say they treated me bad, but they certainly didn't use me well. If I could have worked after I got better, I could have had tea, but, cause I couldn't do nothing, they gave me that beastly gruel morning and night. I had meat three times a week. They would have kept me there till now, but I would die in the streets rather than be a pauper. So I told them, if they would give me the means of getting a stock, I would try and get a living for myself. After refusing many times to let me have ten shillings, they agreed to give me five shillings. Then I came out, but I had no home, and so I crawled about till I met with the people where I am now and they let me sit up there till I got a room of my own. Then some of my friends collected for me about fifteen shillings altogether, and I did pretty well for a little while. I went to live close by the Blackfriars Road, but the people where I lodged treated me very bad. There was a number of girls of the town in the same street, but they was too fond of themselves and their drink to give nothing. They used to buy things of me and never pay me. They never made game of me, nor played me any tricks, and if they saw the boys doing it they would protect me. They never offered to give me no victuals. Indeed, I shouldn't have liked to have eaten the food they got. After that, I couldn't pay my lodgings, and the parties where I lodged turned me out, and I had to crawl about the streets for four days and nights. This was only a month back. 
i was fit to die with pain all that time if i could get a penny i used to go into a coffee shop for half a pint of coffee and sit there till they drove me out and then i'd crawl about till it was time for me to go out selling oh dreadful dreadful it was to be all them hours day and night on my knees i couldn't get along at all i was forced to sit down every minute and then i used to fall asleep with my things in my hand and be woke up by the police to be pushed about and druv on by them it seemed like as if i was walking on the bare bones of my knees the pain in them was like the cramp only much worse at last i could bear it no longer so i went before mr secker the magistrate at union hall and told him i was destitute and that the parties where i had been living kept my bed and the few things i had for two shillings and sixpence rent that i owed them he said he couldn't believe that anybody would force me to crawl about the streets for four days and nights cripple as i was for such a sum one of the officers told him i was an honest and striving man and the magistrate sent the officer with the money to get my things but the landlady wouldn't give them till the officer compelled her and then she chucked my bed out into the middle of the street a neighbour took it in for me and took care of it till i found out the tin man who had before let me sit up in his house i should have gone to him at first but he lived farther than i could walk i am stopping with him now and he is very kind to me i have still some relations living and they are well to do but being a cripple they despise me my aunt my mother's sister is married to a builder in petersham near richmond and they are rich people having some houses of their own besides a good business i have got a boy to wheel me down on a barrow to them and asked assistance of them but they will have nothing to do with me they won't look at me for my affliction six months ago they gave me half a crown i had no lodgings nor victuals then and that i shouldn't have had from them had i not said i was starving and must go to the parish this winter i went to them and they shut the door in my face after leaving my aunts i went down to ham common where my father-in-law lives and there his daughter's husband sent for a policeman to drive me away from the place i told the husband i had no money nor food but he advised me to go begging and said i shouldn't have a penny of them my father-in-law was ill upstairs at the time but i don't think he would have treated me a bit better and all this they do because the almighty has made me a cripple i can indeed solemnly say that there is nothing else against me and that i strive hard and crawl about till my limbs ache enough to drive me mad to get an honest livelihood with a couple of pounds i could i think manage to shift very well for myself i'd get a stock and go into the country with a barrow and buy old metal and exchange tinware for old clothes and with that i'm almost sure i could get a decent living i'm accounted a very good dealer in answer to my inquiries concerning the character of this man i received the following written communication i have known c blank a blank twelve years the last six years he has dealt with me for tinware i have found him honest in all his dealings with me sober and industrious c blank h blank tin man from the writer of the above testimonial i received the following account of the poor cripple he is a man of a generous disposition and very sensitive for the afflictions of others one day while passing down the borough he saw a man afflicted with st vitus's dance shaking from head to foot and leaning on the arm of a woman who appeared to be his wife the cripple told my informant that he should never forget what he felt when he beheld that poor man i thought he said what a blessing it is i am not like him nor is the cripple i am told 
less independent than he is generous in all his sufferings and privations he never pleads poverty to others but bears up under the trials of life with the greatest patience and fortitude when in better circumstances he was more independent than at present having since through illness and poverty been much humbled his privations have been great adds my informant only two months back being in a state of utter destitution and quite worn out with fatigue he called at the house of a person note where my informant occupied a room end note about ten o'clock at night and begged them to let him rest himself for a short while but the inhuman landlady and her son laid hold of the wretched man the one taking him by the arms and the other by the legs and literally hurled him into the street the next morning my informant continued i saw the poor creature leaning against a lamp-post shivering with the cold and my heart bled for him and since that he's been living with me of the swag shops of the metropolis by those who are not connected with the street trade the proprietors of the swag shops are often called warehousemen or general dealers and even slaughterers these descriptions apply but partially warehousemen or general dealers are vague terms which i need not further notice the wretchedly underpaid and overworked shoemakers cabinet makers and others call these places slaughterhouses when the establishment is in the hands of tradesmen who buy their goods of poor workmen without having given orders for them on saturday afternoons pale-looking men may be seen carrying a few chairs or bending under the weight of a chiffonier or a chest of drawers in tottenham court road and thoroughfares of a similar character in all parts these are small masters who make or as one man said to me no sir i don't make these drawers i put them together it can't be called making it's not workmanship who put together in the hastiest manner and in any way not positively offensive to the eye articles of household furniture the slaughterers who supply all the goods required for the furniture of a house buy at starvation prices the common term the artificer being often kept waiting for hours and treated with every indignity one east end slaughterer as i ascertained in a former inquiry used habitually to tell that he prayed for wet saturday afternoons because it put twenty pounds extra into his pocket this was owing to the damage sustained in the appearance of any painted varnished or polished article by exposure to the weather or if it had been protected from the weather by the unwillingness of the small master to carry it to another slaughter-house in the rain under such circumstances and under most of the circumstances of this unhappy trade the poor workman is at the mercy of the slaughterer i describe this matter more fully than i might have deemed necessary had i not found that both the small masters spoken of for i called upon some of them again and the street sellers very frequently confounded the swag shop and the slaughterhouse the distinction i hold to be this the slaughterer buys as a rule with hardly an exception the furniture or whatever it may be made for the express purpose of being offered to him on speculation of sale the swag shopkeeper orders his goods as a rule and buys as an exception in the manner in which the slaughterer buys ordinarily the slaughterer sells by retail the swag shopkeeper only by wholesale most of the articles of the class of which i now treat are brummagem made 
an experienced tradesman said to me all these low-priced metal things fancy goods and all which you see about are made in birmingham in nineteen cases out of twenty at the least they may be marked london or sheffield or paris or any place you can have them marked north pole if you will but they're genuine birmingham the carriage is lower from birmingham than from sheffield that's one thing the majority of the swag shop proprietors are jews the wares which they supply to the cheap shops the cheap johns and the street sellers in town and country consist of every variety of article apart from what is eatable drinkable or wearable in which the trade class i have specified can deal as regards what is wearable indeed such things as braces garters and so on form a portion of the stock of the swag shop in one street a thoroughfare at the east end of london are twenty-three of these establishments in the windows there is little attempt at display the design aimed at seems to be rather to crowd the window as if to show the amplitude of the stores within the wonderful resources of this most extensive and universal establishment than to tempt purchasers by exhibiting tastefully what may have been tastefully executed by the artificer or what it is desired should be held to be so executed in one of these windows the daylight is almost precluded from the interior by what may be called a perfect wall of pots a street seller who accompanied me called them merely pots the trade term but they were all pot ornaments among them were great store of shepherdesses of greyhounds of a gamboge colour of what i heard called figures allegorical nymphs with and without birds or wreaths in their hands very tall-looking shakespeare's i did not see one of these windows without its shakespeare a sitting figure and some pots which seemed to be either shepherds or musicians from what i could learn at the pleasure of the seller the buyer or the inquirer the shepherd or musician is usually seated under a tree he wears a light blue coat and yellow breeches and his limbs more than his body are remarkable for their bulk to call them merely fat does not sufficiently express their character and in some pots they are as short and stumpy as they are bulky on my asking if the dogs were intended for italian greyhounds i was told no they're german i alluded however to the species of the animal represented my informant to the place of manufacture for the pots were chiefly german a number of mugs however with the crystal palace very well depicted upon them were unmistakably english in another window of the same establishment was a conglomeration of pincushions, shaving-brushes, letter-stamps, all in bone, cribbage-boards and boxes, including a pack of cards, necklaces and strings of beads. The window of a neighbouring swag-shop presented, in the like crowding and in greater confusion, an array of brooches, note, some in coloured glass to imitate rubies, topazes, and so on, some containing portraits, deeply coloured, in purple attire and red cheeks, and some being very large cameos, end note, timepieces, with and without glasses, French toys with movable figures, telescopes, American clocks, musical boxes, shirt studs, backgammon boards, tea trays, one with a nondescript bird of most gorgeous green plumage forming a sort of centrepiece razor strops writing desks sailors knives hair brushes and tobacco boxes 
another window presented even a more miscellaneous assortment dirks apparently not very formidable weapons a mess of steel pens in brown paper packages and cases and of black lead pencils pipe heads cigar cases snuff boxes razors shaving brushes letter stamps metal teapots metal teaspoons glass globes with artificial flowers and leaves within the glass an improvement one man thought on the old ornament of a reel in a bottle peel medals exhibition medals roulette boxes scent bottles quill pens with artificial flowers in the feathery part fans side combs glass pen holders and pot figures caricatures of louis philippe carrying a very red umbrella marshal haynau with some instrument of torture in his hand while over all boomed a huge english seaman in yellow waistcoat and with a brick-coloured face sometimes the furniture of a swag-shop window is less plentiful but quite as heterogeneous in one were only american clocks french toys large opera glasses knives and forks and powder flasks in some windows the predominant character is jewellery ear-drops generally gilt rings of all kinds brooches of every size and shade of coloured glass shawl pins shirt-studs necklaces bead purses small paintings of the crystal palace in burnished gold frames watch-guards watch-seals each with three impressions or mottoes watch-chains and keys silver toothpicks medals and snuff-boxes it might be expected that the jewellery shops would present the most imposing display of any they are on the contrary among the dingiest as if it were not worth the trouble to put clean things in the window but merely what sufficed to characterize the nature of the trade carried on of the twenty-three swag-shops in question five were confined to the trade in all the branches of stationery of these i saw one the large window of which was perfectly packed from bottom to top with note-paper account and copy-books steel-pens pencils sealing-wax enamelled wafers in boxes ink-stands and so on of the other shops two had cases of watches with no attempt at display or even arrangement poor things i was told by a person familiar with the trade in them fit only to offer to countrymen when they've been drinking at a fair and think themselves clever i have so far described the exterior of these street dealers bazaars the swag shops in what may be called their headquarters upon entering some of these places of business spacious rooms are seen to extend behind the shop or warehouse which opens to the street some are almost blocked up with what appears a litter of packing-cases packages and bales but which are no doubt ordered systematically enough while the shelves are crammed with goods in brown paper or in cases or boxes this uniformity of package so to speak has the effect of destroying the true character of these swag storerooms for they present the appearance of only three or four different kinds of merchandise being deposited on a range of shelves when perhaps there are a hundred in some of these swag shops it appears certain both from what fell under my own observation and from what i learned through my inquiries of persons long familiar with such places that the litter i have spoken of is disposed so as to present the appearance of an affluence of goods without the reality of possession 
in no warehouses properly swag or wholesale traders is there any arranged display of the wares vended we don't want people here one street seller had often heard a swag shopkeeper say as looks about them and says how pretty what nice things he wants to sell and not to show he is all for business and be d blank d all of these places which i saw were dark more or less so in the interior as if a customer's inspection were uncared for some of the swag shop people present cards or circulars with prices to their street and other customers calling attention to the variety of their wares these circulars are not given without inquiry as if it were felt that one must not be wasted on one i find the following enumeration shopkeepers and dealers supplied with the following articles clocks american french german and english eight-day dials watches gold and silver musical boxes two four six and eight airs watch glasses common flint geneva and lunettes main springs blue and straw color english and geneva watch materials of every description jewellery a general assortment spectacles gold silver steel horn and metal frames concave convex colored and smoked eyes telescopes one two and three drawers mathematical instruments combs side dressing curl pocket ivory small tooth and so on musical instruments violins violoncellos bows and so on flutes clarionets trombones ophoclides cornopeans french horns post horns trumpets and passes violin tailboards pegs and bridges accordions french and german of every size and style it must not be thought that swag shops are mainly repositories of fancy articles for such is not the case i have described only the windows and outward appearances of these places the interior being little demonstrative of the business but the bulkier and more useful articles of swag traffic cannot be exposed in a window in the miscellaneous or birmingham and sheffield shops however the useful and the fancy are mixed together as is shown by the following extracts from the circular of one of the principal swag houses i give each head with an occasional statement of prices the firm describe themselves as wholesale retail and export furnishing ironmongers general hardwaremen manufacturers of clocks watches and steel pens and importers of toys beads and other foreign manufactures table cutlery common knives and forks per dozen two shillings no pence ivory handled table knives and fork per set of fifty pieces twenty shillings no pence tables per dozen fifteen shillings no pence desserts per dozen eleven shillings three pence carvers per pair four shillings no pence fire irons strong wrought iron for kitchens per set two shillings to six shillings no pence ditto for parlours or libraries bright pans four shillings and sixpence to seven shillings no pence fenders kitchen fenders three feet long with sliding bar three shillings no pence green ditto brass tops for bedrooms one shilling eight pence britannia metal goods teapots and so on german silver goods teaspoons one shilling to two shillings per dozen and so on bellows kitchen each tenpence to two shillings no pence parlour ditto brass pipes and nails 
two shillings and threepence to three shillings no pence japanned goods brass goods iron saucepans oval iron pots iron tea kettles and so on iron stew pans and so on the prices here run very systematically one quart one shilling and twopence three pints one shilling and sixpence two quarts two shillings no pence three quarts three shillings no pence four quarts three shillings nine pence five quarts four shillings no pence patent enamelled saucepans oval tin boilers tin saucepans tea kettles coffee pots in all these useful articles the prices range in the same way as in the iron stew pans copper goods kettles coal scoops and so on tin fish kettles dish covers rosewood work boxes glass brushes tooth hair clothes scrubbing stove shoes japanned hearth banister plate carpet and dandy tools plated goods warranted silver edges snuffers beads musical instruments accordions from one shilling to five shillings and so on then come dials and clocks combs optics spectacles eyeglasses telescopes opera glasses each tenpence to ten shillings china ornaments lamps sundries these i give verbatim to show the nature of the trade crimping and goffering machines from fourteen shillings looking-glasses pictures and so on beads of every kind watch-guards shaving-boxes guns pistols powder-flasks belts percussion caps and so on corkscrews sixpence to two shillings nut-cracks sixpence to one shilling and sixpence folding measures each two shillings to four shillings silver spoons haberdashery skates per pair two shillings to ten shillings carpet bags each three shillings to ten shillings egg boilers tapers flat and box irons italian irons and heaters earthenware jugs metal covers teapots plaited straw baskets sieves wood pails camera obscurers medals amulets perfumery and fancy soaps of all kinds mathematical instruments steel pens silver and german silver patent pencil cases and leads snuff boxes in great variety strops ink slates metal eyelet holes and machines padlocks braces belts congreves lucifers fuses pocket-books bill-cases bed-keys and a great variety of articles too numerous to mention notwithstanding the specific character and arrangement of the circulars with prices it is common enough for the swag-shop proprietors to intimate to any one likely to purchase that those prices are not altogether to be a guidance as thirty-five per cent discount is allowed on the amount of a ready money purchase one of the largest swags made such an allowance to a street seller last week the swag shops of which i state the numbers in a parenthesis are in houndsditch their principal locality twenty-three minories four whitechapel two ratcliffe highway twenty shoreditch one long lane smithfield four fleet lane two holywell street strand one tothill street four compton street soho one hatton garden two clerkenwell ten kent street borough eight newcut six blackman street two tooley street three london road three borough road one waterloo road four in all one hundred and one but a person who had been upwards of twenty years a frequenter of these places counted up fifty others many of them in obscure courts and alleys near houndsditch ratcliffe highway and so on and so on these 
outsiders are generally of a smaller class than those i have described and i can tell you sir the same man said some of them ay, and some of the big ones too are real swag shops still partly so that is you understand me sir the word swag i should inform my polite readers means in slang language plunder it may be safely calculated then that there are one hundred and fifty swag shops to which the different classes of street sellers resort for the purchase of stock among these establishments are pot swag stationery swag haberdashery swag jewellery swag and miscellaneous swag the latter comprise far more than half the entire number and constitute the warehouses which are described by their owners as birmingham and sheffield or english and foreign or english and german it is in these last mentioned swags that the class i now treat of the street sellers of metal manufactures find the commodities of their trade to this however there is one exception tins for household use are not sold at the general swag shops but fancy tins such as japanned and embellished trays are vended there extensively the street sellers of this order are supplied at the tin shops the number of the wholesale tin men supplying the street sellers is about fifty the principle on which the business is conducted is precisely that of the more general swag shop but i shall speak of them when i treat of the street sellers of tins an intelligent man who had been employed in different capacities in some of the principal swag shops told me of one which had been carried on by the same family from father to son for more than seventy years in the largest of the swags about two hundred hands are employed in the various capacities of salesmen buyers clerks travellers unpackers packers porters and so on and so on on some mornings twenty-five large packages some of small articles entirely are received from the carriers in one week when my informant assisted in making up the books the receipts were upwards of three thousand pounds in my opinion sir he said and it's from an insight into the business mr blank's profit on that three thousand pounds was not less than thirty-five per cent for he's a great capitalist and pays for everything down upon the nail that's more than one thousand pounds profit in a week certainly it was an extra week and there's the two hundred hands to pay but that wouldn't range higher than three hundred pounds indeed not so high and there's heavy rent and taxes and rates no doubt and he note the proprietor is a jew end note is a fair man to the trade and not an uncharitable man but he will drive a good bargain where it's possible so considering everything sir the profits must be very great and they are mostly made out of poor buyers who sell it to poor people in the streets or in small shops it's a wonderful trade from the best information i could obtain i come to the conclusion that including small and large shops three thousand pounds yearly is the average receipt of each or as it is most frequently expressed that sum is turned over by the swag shopkeepers yearly there is great competition in the trade and much of what is called cutting or one tradesman underselling another the profit consequently varies from twenty to thirty-five and rarely fifty per cent sometimes a swag shop proprietor is hung up with a stock the demand for which has ceased and he must dispose of it as 
a job lot to make room for other goods and thus is necessarily out of pocket the smaller swag shops do not turn over five hundred pounds a year the calculation I have given shows an outlay yearly of £450,000 at the swag shops of London. But, said a partner in one of these establishments, what proportion of the goods find their way into the streets, what to the shops, what to the country, and what for shipping, I cannot form even a guess, for we never ask a customer for what purpose he wants the goods, though sometimes he will say, I must have what is best for such or such a trade say half a million turned over in a year sir by the warehousemen who sell to the street people among others and you're within the mark i found the street sellers characterize the swags as hard and grinding men taking every advantage in the way of trade there is too i was told by a man lately employed in a swag shop a constant collision of clamour and bargaining not to say of wits between the smarter street sellers the pattering class especially, and the swagmen with whom they are familiar. The points in which the swag shops resemble the slaughterhouses are in the traffic in workboxes, desks, and dressing cases. End of section 56